Hello and welcome to the official Copper and Blue podcast. Uh, we've been away for about a month and a half here, but we're finally back and here to talk about some Oilers action. And Shona, we have a lot to talk about today. Um, the well, Duncan Keith trade absolutely blew up the Oilers uh, blogosphere. Uh, my Twitter timeline has been a complete wreck since the Oilers made the deal. So I just want to get your initial thoughts on this Duncan Keith and a third round pick in exchange for Caleb Jones and a conditional second round pick. Or no, a Caleb Jones. Oh my God, I completely botched that deal actually. Caleb Jones and a conditional and third for Duncan Keith and Tim Soderlund, right? Yeah. I almost I I forgot who Tim Soderlund was. It was such an unsubstantial yeah. thing in that trade. So, honest opinion um, that whoever has let Ken Holland talk to anybody else in the league um, needs to like steal Ken Holland's phone and change all the numbers so that they only dial like someone within the organization that can make him feel like he's doing something. While someone who actually has any sort of clue about player evaluations and and um, player development and where the team is going um, actually makes trades. Because for me, it's utterly ridiculous to trade out. Ken says, oh, 37-year-old. Well, he was three days from his 38th birthday when you traded for him, so let's be honest. If you were a five-year-old, you would have said you were six at that point. So you traded for a 38-year-old defenseman who charitably hasn't had more than a solid few games in would you say four or five years yep as traditionally in the last year being the worst player on the ice in his team on a, on a bad was, team too on a yeah on his team which was a bad team was slated in you know from several reputable sources to be on the buyout list that Chicago was looking at. Um, and you traded a younger defenseman and a pick for this guy taking all of his salary, all of his salary, which is bigger than what we're, you're sending. Um, and a guy that I can't place, um, but is probably going to be somewhere in your AHL system. Um I think there are times when you are disappointed in your team because you expected better. And I think there are times like for the Duncan Keith trade for me where you can't say you're disappointed in your team because you expected better because it's so, it's so far beyond the pale you would trade for a player currently immersed in scandal and not like you know oh maybe he was using coke you know scandal no you traded for a player immersed in a sexual assault scandal you know implicated in covering up a sexual assault scandal in this political climate for sports You brought him in, you valorized how great he was in the room. You know, you haven't let anyone ask how great he was in the room in 2010. You know, you haven't, you know, he wore an A on the Blackhawks in 2010 while they went through a sexual assault scandal and kept his mouth shut. 
for 10 years. And you want to talk to me about how this is the guy that's going to bring great values to this team and help the younger players. I wouldn't have taken Duncan Keith as a coach because for me, like if you are willing to sacrifice somebody's integrity, potentially their life, because a lot of people with untreated sexual uh, who undergo untreated sexual assault end up with suicidal ideation, you are nowhere near, you know, you should be nowhere near any young people. You know, you shouldn't be in a position where you're being valorized. So no, I hate this top to bottom. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you 100% there. And I think a lot of things, you mentioned it there, the fact that he was a part of that sexual uh, assault, covering up a sexual assault case against one of his teammates or against someone within the organization, it's it's deplorable. And I don't think there's any way to come back from it. And for people out there that are saying, oh, well, this, this is the whole team, it's a big team thing. It goes far beyond Duncan Keith. I, I don't think that's a good enough excuse at all because well, you have here's the thing is, Duncan Keith still had a voice in that team. He wore yes, an A, sure. he had a position of authority. Duncan Keith could have done something. Mm-hmm. And if he got smacked down, okay. But he could have done something and he chose, you know, whatever he felt the team building was, was more important than somebody's, or potentially somebody's life. And if you want to talk about guys that are good in the room, someone who will throw you under a moving train possibly the worst experience you'll ever go through and sit back and let it happen. But, Oh God, Duncan Keith is so good in the room. Don't you know? I think it's, it's, yeah, it makes no sense to me. And and I've had people, I've said this on Twitter over the past uh, week following the trade that I don't think this guy's a leader for the exact reasons you just, um, you laid out there. And I've had people laugh it off and that's, that's absolutely well, that's, horrible. This is, this is hockey culture. Mm-hmm. It does not matter. It did not matter when Patrick Kane, you know, um, in the year before that was in a sexual assault scandal. The Duncan Keith publicly came out and, you know, supported Patrick Kane, said he couldn't have done it, despite Patrick Kane's long stranding history of less than amazing behaviors, you know, and I think that was 2009 that that happened. 2010, the Blackhawks have this, you know, the Blackhawks organization from that period, you know, is so steeped in scandal and just overall poor behavior. And Duncan Keith was a leader in that group for each and every one of those instances and each and every time he chose to valorize and hold up what his coaches or what his management was telling him over what was right. Mm -hmm. And I'm sorry. I get being a hockey player. I get, this is what you're paid to do. But if you are, you know, fans get all on their high horses about people like, um, now, of course I'm drawing a blank. Um, the one that uh, broke the guy's, uh, Bertuzzi, the one that yes. broke the guy's neck out in Vancouver, how, you know, that was reprehensible and how he, you know, he should have, you know, all these things should have gone to jail. But you don't get up on your high horses about how reprehensible, you know, these situations are. You don't get up on your high horses. The coach that left the Blackhawks went on to, uh, to provide coaching services to NCAA yeah, you even know, younger kids, even more kids, vulnerable kids. Kids. 
so that he had even more power over. He could be like, well, I have ins at, you know, national hockey level, you know. But Duncan Keith didn't think that those people were important enough. They didn't matter enough for him mm-hmm. to have to say something. And of course, he can say, well, it wasn't my place. She probably will if anyone ever says anything. I think he did get questioned on it when he was uh, interviewed in the, the first interview as him as an Edmonton Oiler. And he kind of just gave a non-answer. He's, he's like, oh, yeah. they're doing an investigation. I hope they do everything right. And blah, 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 blah. But kind that's a- not the question. The question is, what should have you done? Mm-hmm. And, and what sure- he should have done was say something. Yeah, and as I was saying before, Brent Sopel came out. He was a teammate with the Blackhawks. He publicly said that this was not a secretive thing. This was a well-known secret within the organization. It wasn't like Duncan Keith wasn't aware that this was happening behind the scenes. Everyone was pretty well aware of this happening and for him to say nothing and to be a leader in that room and not say anything, it's, it's not much of a leader. I'm sorry to say, you can do so much on the ice, but you know, if you, you can't do like, the littlest of thing off the ice, you're not really a leader. Here's the thing is like, you can be the most fantastic hockey player in the world. You could be Connor McDavid or, you know, an even better version of Connor McDavid. And I would not want you on my team if you do not see the value in other human beings, mm-hmm. because at the end of the day, little boys and girls, not little boys and girls are still coming up to these individuals and looking at them as role models. So what you've got, you know, junior hockey players thinking, well, if my buddy gets assaulted, you know, it's okay for me to keep my mouth shut because it was okay for Duncan Keith to keep his mouth shut. Mm-hmm. For sure. And that's literally the message he's sending. Yeah. And I'm like- sorry, if you're okay with that message, then I'm not okay with you. No, right? I agree. I agree 100%. I think you hit the nail right on the head there, Shona. And even if this wasn't a thing, if, if, and I'm not saying, I'm not trying to minimize this in any way, but if this scandal wasn't even a thing, it's still a bad move for the Edmonton Oilers because oh, yeah. Duncan Keith hasn't been a good player for the last five years. And you heard Ken Holland in his uh, explanation of making this deal say, well, I looked at the, guy, at the NHL guide and record book. And he had like three Stanley Cups and he won a Conn Smythe and a few Norrises. That's fine and dandy. Good for Duncan Keith. I'm glad he did that. I bet there's a bunch of guys in that record book that won a lot, a lot of things mm-hmm. that the Oilers can't get, you know, like, let's go look like, you know, Maurice the Rocket Richard won so much stuff that they literally named a trophy after him, but he's dead. Like that happened so long ago. The yeah. guy who did it is dead. That's what I'm trying to say <laughs> this here. That's why the record book is not your best friend. The record book doesn't tell you, it tells you how good a player has been. It doesn't tell you how good a player is right now. And for or everyone going on Twitter and saying, well, Duncan Keith is like, he's got Norris votes. He's got Norris trophies. Yeah, that's fine. He did that six years ago. He hasn't got a Norris vote in four years. His uh, analytics are atrocious he's yeah, but, absolutely leaks okay you game. probably shouldn't try analytics with these people because i've heard, had more than one oilers fan be like ken holland doesn't believe in analytics so why should we well you here's know? the thing though I, I i can understand people's hesitancy towards analytics it's a new thing and whenever a new thing comes in people who aren't used to it or their their initial reaction is to push back against it but yeah, i have a hold on Preston. A, a, speaking a of a new thing that people need to, to get on board with, much like analytics, COVID vaccines. 
Like yes, seriously, as well. get on board with those stuff. As a quick side note, yes, get your vaccine, people. Stop being stupid about it. But as I was saying, um, I have. Sorry, a friend... you just you, you gave me that. You teed that up for me. I needed to take it. <laughs> I have a friend on on Twitter who actually went back and looked through every goal for and goal against that Duncan Keith was on the ice for this entire past season. And uh, you know what? The numbers match up. The eye test and the analytics test. They both stand up and they both say the same thing. You know what? Do you know why? Player anymore. Because they come from the same source material. Like the analytics don't come from another dimension of hockey. They're drawn from the same source yeah, material. I know. You can't have analytics without watching the games. I don't understand why people don't understand this. We don't just pull numbers out of thin air and plaster them on players. What do you mean? numbers are you accumulated. Just, you don't just like throw start throwing some number or darts at a board that's their mm-hmm. analytic number like you know wherever you hit on the dart boards they're over 60 ga- uh, goals against in a you know. no okay <laughs> actually based on their play, a lot of people say. treat them like that and i don't i don't understand uh, what they think these people are doing they're watching the games and they're they're quantifying what they see onto something that you can digest a little easier and be able to extrapolate what they're going to do in the future um, so yeah, yeah the analytics are about terrible. taking what's happened and on a reasonable possibility level, extrapolating them to what could happen. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not the that hard of a concept. <laughs> no, but it's the same concept people, when you're in grade four and you struggle with the fact that if you flip a coin 10 times, it's probably going to land heads five times and tails five times. And you're like, well, no, I'm going to flip the coin. And then you do it like 20 times and you realize shit the probability actually works mm-hmm. right a lot of people need to come to that realization and i think the pe- a lot of people just need to go out and flip the coin a bunch of times mm-hmm. or just shut up but it's not i don't carry we, we could we could go a full hour on here talking about why and we could go a deep dive and describe each analytic very thoroughly and it, this still won't get through to some people so you know to each of their own i'm still going to argue with people because i have no self-control on twitter and you know <laughs> it's just going to be a thing that happens um i got mad twitter self-control no that's actually i've got no i've got no i've got no extra time to argue with people on i got twitter. no patience for the oilers i've been watching this team since i was six years old and they've won one playoff round since since that oh. time i'm 21 now okay i have no patience for the oilers right now right I when I, I keep thinking the keep... right decision yeah. Well, did you not watch them in 20s or uh, the 06 run? I was six and I didn't know what was happening. So that's when I oh. first got into hockey. I got into hockey oh. after watching them lose. And it's been a constant rip- repetition ever since then. Just but that was just them. what that was the primer. That was the high point, potentially. <laughs> <laughs> that was the high point. The high point of my fandom was when I was six years old. Um, which is pretty sad. And another faucet of this deal that I think was just absolutely pathetic by Ken Holland. We we hear this guy be called a Hall of Fame GM and that he knows what he's doing and he can navigate conversations like nobody else. He got absolutely fleeced on this deal and was coerced somehow into taking the full salary back. Ken no. Holland had all the leverage here. No, 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 no. I'm sure that in some way... Teams. Despite having all the le- leverage, Ken Holland, Ken Holland is for me. I I think I've listened to him talk a couple of times, and for me, when he talks, I'm always I'm always put in the mind of people I've listened to who believe themselves to be the smartest person in the conversation, whether they are or whether they aren't. And for me, 
those people are always interesting because um, he's agreed to both the no movement clause and to take the entire salary for mm. Keith and to have to protect him in the expansion draft. Um, all of which is objectively bad. Shit. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm going to earn my explicit tag, Preston. Um, objectively shit. But he still is going to come out with his mouth full of it and try to make you think it's gold. And like, I don't know. Is that old vacuum salesman background coming, coming to the front again? eh? Well, (laughs) I mean, you work with enough people and um, for me, it's not so much a vacuum salesman. It's more um, like clusters of narcissistic traits Mm -hmm. where he can't, he can't, perceive of him getting hosed in this deal so he must have gotten the best right because he is obviously so smart that he could not have this is going to possibly happened. i i absolutely loved that soundbite where um i think it was uh jonathan willis from the athletic was asking him about that very thing about not retaining salary and giving up so much to take on that full salary and he was like what do you want me to do get them for free did i give up too much it's like yes yes ken you did you did give up too much objectively he, Keith wanted here's the thing. Here's the thing. If, Northwest if, and and here's the thing. The Oilers if, are top of the list. If, the Blackhawks will have been forced to buy him out if you had not made that deal. You you got yeah. them out of the crap situation. Here's the thing. The, you had all the leverage. You could have told the Blackhawks they were keeping three million of his contract, and that still would have been preferable to the Blackhawks to keeping Doug Keith. Yeah. So. This idea that if you just, and I don't know if it's this some weird iteration of the old boys club, but if he thinks that the next time he deals with the Chicago GM, they're going to give him a, a giant break. This isn't, this isn't, this, this isn't like Southern gentleman, you know, <laughs> handshake. And, you know, so if I take all of Keith and this no movement clause and really screw my own club over, if I come to you and I need a big favor, you'll do it for me. Right. Oh yeah, for sure. And then he's going to go and it's going to be like, nope. Sorry, no can do. I look after my own club. Yeah, because this is a league where you're not supposed to help the other teams in it. And that's exactly what Holland did with Chicago, which well, I think no, is frankly ridiculous. You're allowed to help the other teams in it if you want to do something like a three-way trade. Mm-hmm. Something that benefits or, you at least. Like in or a, in if little bit, you know, little bit, right? If you take cap because you need to make the cap floor like Arizona's done before, or you know, all those things, you're allowed to do all that. But nobody's going to protect your own interests. So going around doing dumbass favors for teams that aren't going to return and and disadvantage themselves on your behalf is just dumbass. Mm -hmm. Right? People go on and on and on and be like, well, he built a team in Detroit. So you have to. He built a team in Detroit. And I was looking up at when he was building that team in Detroit. And Preston, you weren't even born. He didn't really build that team in Detroit, if you really think about it, though. He inherited a lot of Hall of Fame pieces on that team, got a few here and there, and then coasted to victory in a pre-cap era with a Detroit team that was willing to spend a whole lot of money on free agents to to surround that talent. So he had it all handed to him on a silver platter. He has never shown a ability to build a championship team in the cap era. And if you look at his uh, last like five or six years in Detroit, it's just riddled with, with terrible cap decisions that absolutely hampered that team. And he continue to hamper that team. They're in the bottom of the standings now. That's the thing as 
there is this belief that in an entirely different system, because the cap era is a different system, that, you know, Holland had success. Therefore, he must be able to be successful. It's like apples and oranges. The capiera is a different type of hockey to GM. You know, and I, I saw a quote from Holland this last week, and it made my blood boil because he's already talking about how he expects the flat cap will go up by at least a million next year. You know, you have no... And I was like, deep breaths, deep breaths. <laughs> you dumbass, you have no strong indication that the cap's going up. You know, one million's not going to buy you out of the trouble you're creating. And if your whole plan for all the people you have to resign next year is, well, we'll get one million dollars more, one million dollars more in cap space, you are don't, there aren't words for how answering a question about all the players they've got to sign next year with a, well, the flat cap is expected to go up by about $1 million. So we'll have room, you know, Oilers fans are always like, well, you, you don't know what it would take to be a GM. No, but I do know what it takes not to talk to me. Like I'm stupid. And I quite frankly know that, you know, the Yamo, the PR and a couple of the other players you've got to sign aren't, you know, what are you doing for bear for what do you, you know, these are not a fucking problem solved by a $1 million increase in the flat cap. And if you're going to stand there and act like they are, don't be surprised when I think everything that comes out of your mouth is fucking bullshit. Mm -hmm. I'm not stupid. Oilers fans. This is the one thing that drives me nuts. Oilers fans aren't stupid. We we've done a lot of terrible GMs over the last decade and a half here. So it's not like not oh, even that make these terrible decisions and I'm going to be like, well, let's look at the bright side of things. No, I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely done with that. No, no, no. I, like, no, no it's not even that. just the last terrible 15 years of terrible GMs. I can do basic math, Preston. I know. $1 million, you know, is not going to go for four people very far, Ken, you know? <laughs> so know. It's, it's, it's the more I hear him talk, the more I hear him do press conferences to try to justify some of these moves that just are very difficult to justify and you're not able to justify them great. Well, the more any, I hear him talk the, and the more he tries to justify things. The deeper the hole he digs, I think. No, it's not even the deeper the hole again. If you listen to like the intonation and the tone and all those kind of things, the cues, the more you see he resents having to justify it to the fan base. Mm-hmm. He thinks he should just be able to go do whatever he wants because he is the GM. And why is he answerable to a fan base? Yo, you seen you seen the, the answer he had to Willis. He kind of snapped back. Well, it's like, man, you're, he, this is your job. You accepted this job. You know, yeah. you know there's going to be criticism here. You have to take it. Yeah, but no, but he, as you watch the tone, the, the word choice, the way he's answering it, it becomes more and more apparent to anyone who's listening. He doesn't believe he has to justify these at all because he believes since he's the GM, he has the right to make the hockey decisions and everybody else should just do what he wants. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, I'm, I'm getting tired of him talking of about Detroit, to be honest. I cannot believe how many times he mentions Detroit in each and every press conference. I need him oh. to understand. I need you, Ken Holland, if you're listening to this, I need you to understand you're not in Detroit anymore. You ran Detroit into the ground. They're now last place. 
in the league or near last place in the league. That's because of you. You're in Edmonton now. Completely different situation. Detroit are last place in the league or near last place in the league and still bleeding assets to try to Mm -hmm. build themselves back up. You know, it's on you, Ken. You're in Edmonton now. We see you doing the same thing. We're not happy with it. This is not Detroit. Duncan Keith, a 38-year-old Duncan Keith is not a 38-year-old Chris Chelios. They are not the same player. You can try to make that comparison. They are not the same player. They are two separate people. You know, in this, this is a different environment than the, uh, I've already got it. This is, we are playing hockey in a different environment than the environment that fucking 38-year-old Chris Chelios played in. Mm-hmm. You have no idea that Chris Chelios at 38 would have been successful in this environment. Mm-hmm. You know, isn't this? That's stuff- what I'm saying. It's so such a different player. You cannot make that comparison. Two completely different situations. But isn't this the whole basis of the fucking arguments on how someone may one day be better than Gretzky? And it's not on how that he'll have they'll have more, you know, more goals or more points, or it'll be that the league has changed, right? Better than it was, right? Right. So, yeah. So, yeah. So you can't score 15 times on a goalie or whatever it is, but sure. You know, let's forget that argument and talk about how a 38 year old can still play. You know, why don't we go find a 50 year old because Grant, uh, what was it? Bobby Hall. Was it Hall? No, (laughs) there's a lot of 50. Bobby Orr. Bobby Bobby Orr. I think was still playing in his fifties, right? Oh, Gordy Howe. So, Gordy Howe, sorry. I'm trying to figure out which one it is. It's like a Bobby <laughs> or a Gordy, and I. One of those old hockey names. Yeah. So he could still play in his fifties in the WHA. You know, shouldn't we be looking for like guys in their fifties to see if they can't play hockey yeah, at this get, level? Let's get Yami Yager back here. Hey, he was crap for the last three years, but it's that experience. Right, well, at least Yammer Yager, as far as I know, hasn't covered up any sex scandals, so I'd actually take him over, Keith. <laughs> I mean, he had, a, cheaper. he had someone uh, blackmail him with a photo of them in bed with him, but he just said, go ahead, release it, I don't care. So. Yeah, but okay, that one thing, you know, being blackmailed by... Uh, someone else, he was kind of the victim in it. No, no, but hopefully Yarmir, <laughs> that the person was in your bed consensually, but, yeah. you know, is an entirely different level of sex scandal than mm-hmm. freaking... Oh, your your club was covering up. You were complicit. Yeah. Abuse, and I'm supposed to buy you. Yeah, not happening. Yeah. So I I'm really glad that we we stand on the same side of this, Duncan Keith. Great. I know a lot of other or uh, a lot of other Oiler fans out there are also just as upset, and rightfully so. I don't think we should be sitting here giving Ken Holland the benefit of the doubt. He messed up here. He's been in this business long enough to know that he shouldn't make these types of mistakes. <laughs> And we're going to fame is how good of a GM man he is. Like, I've been doing it since like the the time when we did it on tablets and you had to, you know, like stone tablets and you had to walk uphill both (laughs) ways to get to the draft. It's just, it's so disappointing. It's so disappointing that this is the guy we got saddled with when Bill Zito was a finalist for this job and now he's doing great things over in Florida. It's just, it's, it's how close we were to having a really good GM. And now seeing what we've got is super you know, typical Oilers luck. Yeah, well, it's Daryl Cates. He wants the old, old, the old boys in that club, right? He doesn't care about anything yeah. else other than making friends with some Hall of Famers. So until he sells the well, club, I don't think he, we see much of a difference. He goes down to Florida or California, and he wants to make friends with movie stars. So maybe we could get something, you know. Maybe we could slide somebody new in while he's busy, you yeah. know. 
there. No kidding. I, I definitely would support that. <laughs> Sell the team to me. Sell it to me. I'll make enough revenue. I'll make the right decisions. Well, no, and I, I just, I think it's not even like Kate's could keep the team, but if Kate's truly wants this team to succeed, he needs to hand over operations. To someone who knows what they're doing. To somebody who one wants to be invested in running it all the time and not um, managing a diverse portfolio of I'm a billionaire. Yeah. And two, someone who actually understands hockey, because I've yet to see any evidence that Daryl Case does. Yeah. So no, absolutely. Every decision he's made has been complete, complete crap, other than maybe building arena. But then, then again, that was on. Nah, don't talk the, to me about that arena. That, that arena has has yes. so many negative social impacts in the downtown core of Edmonton. Oh, that, yes. Yes. That's true. That could be a podcast. That is actually a podcast somewhere around the world. That could be another podcast. We go on and on about how badly run the Oilers are. But uh, that went on for quite a long time. It was all a great discussion there. So let's move on to something a little bit different. It's expansion week here in the NHL. The Seattle Kraken are the 32nd NHL franchise, and they are picking their team this year. Now the Oilers released their expansion list, and a few surprising names on it. Zach Cassian, Josh Archibald made that list. Uh, over guys like Dominic Cahoon, Tyler Benson, and Cooper Marodi. Now, I'm of the belief that Zach Cassian is no longer a viable bottom six player on the Oilers. I don't think he's that great anymore. And then he's getting he's getting paid. I am of the opinion that, that Zach Cassian is that type of player that has one or two good seasons, gets a contract. We always get uh, the Oilers always blast players for this having a. An amazing season where the, when their contract is up for renewal and sucking all the, the rest of the time. Mm-hmm. And that is my theory on Zach Cassian because he, the only times I've seen him play well for the Oilers have been when his contract was up for some sort of renewal. Mm-hmm. And now he's got that money, you know, he's yeah. Now he doesn't give it. Now he doesn't. But so it always makes me laugh because the Oilers fans that are most passionate about defensive Zach Cassian are also more than willing to throw other players under the bus for that dip after they've got their big contract. So well, I've seen people being like, well, Zach Cassian has been bad for a little bit, but, but, but Tyler Benson blew his chance at being an NHL player after seven games in the NHL, Tyler Benson yeah, has blown his chance. It's the same people who told us that, it makes you no know, sense. It's, it's like what is it? Bob Stoffer who told us that, uh, bear or, or that Jones had blown his chance after 83 games after telling me that nurse needed up to 300 games. Mm, it makes no sense. You're just yes. picking and choosing right now. It's, it's you, but we've all, but that's the problem. That's, that's always been picking and choosing. Mm-hmm. If, especially with media that works with the Oilers closely, if they think that the organization likes the player, they get a lot more rope. That's fine. That's pretty normal politics. I think in most organizations, but if you can't critically evaluate based on anything other than what the team is telling you, then you have no idea how good this team actually is. Mm-hmm. Because the it's team is telling you it. Zach Cassian's going to have an amazing year. And the team is telling you Miko Koskinen was the goalie of the future. And, you know, I'll give the team this one. They told me that Mike Smith was going to have a banner year last year, and he did. And then they told me they want to sign Mike Smith for two more years at $4 million a year. And I thought. I'm shaking my head vigorously at that notion. It, it makes my skin crawl. And then I, I thought, I that. have spent 
10 podcasts telling them not to do this. <laughs> you know? Literally, we've been banging this drum saying, please walk away. And it doesn't look like they're going to do it. But getting back to Zach Cassian, um, the only logical reason I could see them protecting him, and I think Frank Saravelli brought this up in the latest DFO podcast, is that they want to trade him. So yeah, but here's you the can thing do that, that always... and get assets. I'm, here's the thing that I'm strikes fine. me as funny is I don't know that Zach Cassian is worth a protected asset. And I don't know that the team you want to trade him to might have that unprotected asset at the end of the expansion. Yeah. So did you see any other teams that were protecting assets? Like, you know, obviously there were some big names unprotected, but I didn't notice anyone protecting, you know, an asset that would work really well with the Oilers that might be at a Cassian trade level, you know? So yeah. what are we we protecting Cassian, hoping that there's going to be a trade there after the expansion draft um, that might not even be there because we didn't pull the trigger on the trade before the freeze. Like, that's the thing. Like, yeah. if you wanted to trade him so badly, what were you doing last week? True. Yeah. What, what were they doing last week? Uh, that's something they could have made Happen. well before the freeze. You don't need to wait until after Seattle's picked to trade Jack Cassian. If you have a good deal for him, the door, show it to him. Show, show, show him the door. Yeah, no, I completely agree. It's And to risk losing an asset like Tyler Benson, where I know he hasn't shown a, a ton at the NHL level, but the potential is there. He was one of the top five scorers in the NHL last season. You know what? You can be a player, a better player than Zach Cassian as soon as next year. We Here's know what thing. we have in Zach Cassian. We don't know what we have in Tyler Benson. But here's the thing that always strikes me as, you know, everyone says, oh, you value prospects too much. You don't know what they're going to be. Well, you know what you have in Zach Cassian and you know, it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. So why are you valuing what doesn't work over, over what has might. potential to work? Yeah. You know, um, it, it blows my mind. Um, People just you know, feel the need to bend over backwards to defend literally everything that Ken Holland does. And I just don't understand it. Well, no, and it's it's not even that. Cassian has that a particular type of supporter in, a, in Edmonton hockey culture. Um, unfortunately, Cassian may not like, you know, all of, all of the attendant pieces that come with that supporter because they also tend to be the supporters that, you know, um, are leaving uh, racist commentary for Ethan Bear mm -hmm. or for Caleb Jones. Like Cassian has a lot of supporters in Edmonton that are holding on to a style of hockey that's dead. Mm -hmm. And they're holding on to a hockey that is white and only white. Mm -hmm. You know, whether they admit it or not, and they won't, but there's no reason, you know, other than, you know, race let's just say it other than race that Oilers fans have been so much harder on Bear and um Jones in their development mm -hmm. and, you know Oilers fans will be like we've had black defensemen before mm -hmm. but you're picking on these ones because they're different yeah you're not you know you know, Evan Bouchard's my outlier. You haven't seen him, but you know, you're hyping up Tyson Berry. Tyson Berry is like the cookie cutter image of hockey in Canada. Mm -hmm. Nice white boy from, I think, the prairies, but 
maybe from the six, you know, who, who cannot defend. Let me just say he can't defend. Well, in you know, NHL that's also a thing. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I know, not I'm ta- agreeing with you. I'm, I'm literally not you. talking about his, mm-hmm. any of his actual skills. Yeah. But there are those people that would rather have Duncan Keith, nice white, or let me rephrase, white boy of questionable moral and integrity or questionable morality and integrity than Caleb Jones for what reason? Because he had three cups, he's on the downswing of his career. I think you go back to the fact, and this is the one that's probably gonna get me, but he's a he fits this idea of you know Canadiana hockey way better than Caleb Jones does. Yeah. And it's really it's shit because if you cater to that element, you're never gonna have a a hockey team worth, you know, some of the best players in the world. Like these are the guys that ran Pugliarvi out. Mm-hmm. Oh, soft Finnish kid, you know, never going to amount to anything, you know. So like like Yakupov. Yeah. Like how, how he too was showy, too here. showy. I got and I got guys telling me we shouldn't pick oil kings because you know we we have, don't have a great record picking oil kings. This this team has failed flamed out way different on an entirely different uh you know chl team and ain't nobody talking about how you shouldn't pick from that team yeah right so yeah well, we picked uh, we picked jacobov from the sarnia sting so we should not pick from the sarnia sting anymore i know but i i, <laughs> I even slipped that reference into the article and i still got well what's our record with the oil kings yeah did well, you, you know you... The sarnia sting reference Oh, maybe you just didn't know where Yakupov was played his junior because you weren't paying attention. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I, I agree I'm with grumpy. you completely there. Um, so, kind of, kind of rounding it back to to the expansion draft. Um, who do you think Seattle should take from the Edmonton Oilers versus who do you want Seattle to take from the Edmonton Oilers? I I think Seattle should take um, Benson or Merity. I want Seattle to take Benson or Merity. And the reasons for that are I want one of those kids to have the best possible shot at a really long and great NHL career. And I don't think they'll get that if they stay at the Oilers. Fair. No, I respect that. They seem like really talented players, Mm -hmm. you know, with the potential to do stuff. So why keep him in a a place where they're never going to get that opportunity? Go be free. (laughs) They're not even valuing them right now. What's the chance of them valuing them? down the line right it's like the same Mm -hmm. with ethan like ethan bears protected but i wouldn't have minded if bear went or jones before he got traded to chicago went because i truly think that they might have an easier bear especially might have had an easier and better time playing in seattle you know well he played junior there too so yeah because well uh ish he played junior there ish because of the way that the junior teams in that area are set up. He would have technically played his junior in Kent, which is uh, about as far from Seattle as Everett's junior team. Um, you know, so yeah, some Pacific maybe North the Seattle's, they may be the Seattle Thunderbirds, but they're not actually in Seattle. <laughs> you know, fun WHL facts from the person who's uh, been like, why are we going out of Seattle to find this hockey arena? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, I, I think yeah, I agree with you that the Seattle should take one of Marodi or Benson. I think I'm leaning towards Benson if I'm the if I'm Ron Francis in the situation. 
from a purely selfish point of view, from someone who wants the Oilers to succeed, um, I would love for them to take, um, you know, a James Neal or a, or a Miko Koskinen or uh Juju Arcara or, Oh God, Devin Shore would be fantastic too. Out of all you those options, what? I no. would like. Stop trying to anchor my new team with great colors and good social <laughs> media and no, no stop it <laughs> now of all those players I, I would like to see that i mentioned that i want seattle to take the one that i would like to stay is jujar kara because he's just such an easy guy to cheer for i love that guy and, i um, do i like him mm-hmm. i would also like he's on my list of people i'd like to see out of edmonton because i think i didn't think they handled this uh, concussion that well here well i i feel like um in the last part of that season the fans really decided he wasn't good for anything. And I think it'll be really hard for him to, you know, reestablish in a, um, a positive way in Edmonton. Cause I, I think they're always going to just be waiting to pounce on him for any little error much. Yeah. I think uh, some fans, not all fans, but some fans may feel about him the way I feel about Ken Holland right now. Yeah. And I He's think that a, a good deal of his poor play was due to medical incompetence. But I'm also in the uh, minority of people figuring that the Oilers owe their players better than, you know, sending them back out clearly traumatized. Yeah, for sure. All right, that's going to do it for the first half of this show. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about the NHL draft and uh, who we can, ex- who the SB Nation uh, Copper and Blue pick was for our website and podcast. And then we'll talk a little bit about how the Oilers could shed up some salaries. So we'll be right back just after these messages. All right, and we're back. We uh, ended off that uh, first half of the show talking about some expansion targets and Shona break, making some fantastic points about the state of the league and why, uh, why players like Caleb Jones and Ethan Bear just don't fit the mold of some people in very stupid reasons. I agreed with you for, for a lot of that. Um, yeah. Well, and it's not like the the NHL specifically goes out and says we want to be white, you know, good old white boys only apply, but unless they do some actual intentional and not performative diversity and inclusion work, you know, Mm -hmm. that's what it's going to stay. Oh, it's the same. It's the same reason why, like, while I'm incredibly proud of Luke Prokoff today, I also have this, like, great worry that you know for whatever reason he won't he won't get to be the player he he was you know he was going to be that maybe Nashville says they support him a thousand percent but I guess we'll see what that ends up looking like right yeah for sure um all right so we're going to move on here and uh, talk about how the Oilers can shed some salary. Now they took on Duncan Keith at five point that was five point seven five million 5. per year. Point five million, I think. Yeah, something ridiculous like that. So it's limiting their options here. And if they really want to go out into free agency and make a make a splash and make their team better, because you know you can do that, Ken Holland, you can make this team better. Do we want to be better? <laughs> I thought we just wanted um, to recreate exactly what we had and hoped that and hope you know, it's better no, based the, on the definition of insanity that it was better. Yeah, so we're going to need to, to roll or uh, to get rid of some salary here to to make some improvements. So who do you think realistically is the most likely guy we can to shore up some cap room? I think uh, buying out a guy like Neil is a pretty obvious move. You've yeah. got three million cap space right away. You have a little bit of a, 
of dead cap, but it's less dead cap than you'd have sitting in the press box in the next few years of his contract. Yeah, no, I'm not saying buying O'Neill would be a great idea. I, um, they're still paying out for buying out Lucic though, um, or still paying salary on Lucic though. So what I would like more than even buying out Neil is that if we, uh, would stop, uh, making potentially disastrous trades and uh, the Neil trade wasn't disastrous, but the re-signing of things, right? Like how, how did we get the Neil trade and still Lucic cap salary? Mm-hmm. You know, someone fleeced us there, but, um, or did we, re- did we do the delightful thing and re-sign Neil? No, you know? no, we didn't. So I, I think that, for the Oilers, like there's things that they could do to shed cap. Like a lot of talk has been about buying out Miko Koskinen, or seeing if you can't get someone to trade for Miko Koskinen and retain only a small part of his cap. But Kenny, isn't the thing that you you have to send the whole cap to the other side? Yeah. Right. Like that's why we have all of Duncan Keith's money, right? Yeah. I don't know if he knows that you can actually retain cap. Um, so, or I don't know if you but, can. He knows he can say no to a deal that that doesn't retain cap. Sound like you so you know that. that would be great if we uh, if we got rid of some of like Miko Koskinen's cap, especially considering the organization has basically I don't know how to say it, but basically said that they really want Smith going forward. It seems like you know mm-hmm. oh you know we want to re-sign Mike Smith you know to a, a couple year deal basically kind of says to me that going forward, they really kind of want Mike Smith and you can't have Mike Smith and Miko Koskinen, you know? Well, well, you did. Well, you can, but it's not going to be great. (laughs) You you can, but it's not going to be what you want, you know, not long-term. Yeah. when, when When it comes to buyouts between Neil or Koskinen, I think, I think I just think Neil makes a lot more sense here. Neil I think does Koskinen, make a lot more sense. Koskinen only has one more year left on his deal. He's not a terrible goalie. I think his last few games of the season skewed a lot of people to thinking he's worse than he actually is. So I oh, think you don't mean like how being like hot for half a season skews people thinking Mike Smith is better than he is on the (laughs) regular. Exactly. It's a tale of two goalies there where one was um, playing out of his mind, probably a lot better than he really is. So everyone thinks Smith is the next great thing. And then Koskinen, everyone thinks he's worse than he is because he struggled in the last two or three, four games. Yeah. Um, But I mean, the other thing that people don't recognize that kind of irks me is Koskinen probably had a lot more, um, are probably was feeling a lot more impacts from the COVID-19 pandemic than Mike Smith. Mike Smith's family are in Canada. Mike Smith's, you know, mm-hmm. life is in Canada. Miko Koskinen is in Finland, you know? Yeah. So um, I think that Oilers fans could have been slightly more charitable than they were mm-hmm. around. Well, and, and then you look at, having the, a shitty... look at the beginning of the season with Smith out. Koskinen was our guy for the first, was it like first 12, 13 games? He yeah. pretty good, but he wore out at the end of it, obviously, because we had no one there to really relieve No, it. because they they didn't uh, keep the other goalie that they needed protected, because why would they do that? Mm-hmm. You know, and then Carolina had them, and then all of a sudden you're trading Carolina a goalie for considerations. Good that you're yeah, going to still help them after they completely mess you around, but, you know. 
Who knew? Well, it's just future considerations, you know? This is a league where they'll help you for no reason. Remember that. I I think future considerations are the dumbest thing in the world to trade for. That's that's why I liked uh, with that uh, Andrew Ladd deal with the New York Islanders and Arizona Coyotes. They didn't bother with future considerations. They just said you get nothing. No return. <laughs> that's, that's basically what it is. I think they should be doing that. Well, no, like it's just like future considerations. Okay. What are the future considerations based on? Are they based on his performance? Are they based on someone else's performance? Are they based on the team's performance? Are they based on, you know, whether it's sunny, whether it's cloudy, you know, like future considerations. Oh, it's just a whole lot of nothing. Just to and when in the future. Hands off the back. Because they didn't even announce when those future considerations were for. You know, considerations it, for the 2022, I don't know. <laughs> right? Like. Is it for the draft? Is it for after the draft? Is it for, you know, the, the year? <laughs> when are we considering? No, that kind of stuff drives me nuts. Um, but I do think, I do think that um, Neil would be a better person to shed cap with. I think Koskinen is a more um, likely person for them to try to shed cap with just because Koskinen has picked up more. Um, I think it was more trade value than a lot of people might think. He has trade value, but he also is more in the targets of Oilers fans, right? Yeah, that's true. There, so if He's Ken the Holland scapegoat right now, if Ken Holland is wishing to assuage the uh, Oilers fan base, he's gonna buy Nico Koskinen. Yeah, be a dumb decision, but yeah. but you know, <laughs> if he's smart, he and he doesn't care about us. Like I think he doesn't care about us. He'll buy out James Neal and trade Miko Koskinen. For maybe and get, something like some sort of asset. left wingish, maybe a third or a fourth left winger or a right winger even, or, or you, maybe a goalie, maybe a new goalie. No, no, I trust that man with goalies. <laughs> well, he brought in Alex Stalick. You're going to be talking about goalies a little bit more here because I want to transition into a quick NHL draft primer. Now, I wrote a little prospect profile on Sebastian Costa over at Copper and Blue last week. But I've known you've, I know that you've actually seen Sebastian Costa live a lot more than I have. And in our uh, 2021 SB Nation draft, Copper and Blue selected Sebastian Costa. So could you tell us a little bit about who this kid is and why he's a first round uh, worthy goaltender? So this kid is like, well, I don't know if there's, um, I know that there are some goalies that are super impressive just looking at them. And Koss is kind of one of those goalies, depending on who you ask, he's 6'6 six, six or he's 6'7. Um, but, you know, he's got amazing, well, I think it's pretty amazing considering how big he is and the fact that he's on ice blades, um, lateral movement. He, and I mentioned this when we I did the pick, because um, I wrote the article for the pick. He is, one of the, for lack of a better term, chillest goalies I've ever seen at a junior level, right? And Preston, you know that my personal theory is that a goalie, um, how well a goalie does is more about how well a goalie thinks they're doing or how well a goalie's told they're doing than any actual technique because those aren't really going to change like, you know, um, a ton, whether they're playing good or bad, right? Like, what the physical movements aren't going to change, but the confidence in the physical movements or, or that. Um, the one thing I actually really, really like about Klaus is he doesn't leave the net a lot. And this is one of the things I like because um, 
in junior that's like you've got a lot of goalies that'll just go for like a little skate around um because they want to handle the puck or whatever you can handle the puck don't get me wrong but you know if you're out your hexagon your trapezoid getting your trapezoid because if you're out your trapezoid like you're out of position right like that's not what you're out there to be doing so like he's got a good understanding of of what his role on the team is and he's he's also you know i don't know there's things when you watch goalies i watch goalies a lot when i'm watching hockey where they move to position themselves to shooters but it's almost like they've already noted that, you know, like halfway up the ice that the shooter's coming and these are all the most likely things the shooter will do so that the positioning isn't like this giant five alarm save because they've already kind of figured it out. And Klaas is quite good at that. I, I think um, he's also had some, you know, nice five alarm saves, some flashy glove saves and big saves. And he takes up enough enough, enough of the net that it makes it harder for... Uh, you know, the forwards and the defensemen to, uh, to find those openings to shoot at. It's not, he's not a, you know, a 5'11 goalie, you know, taking up like small amounts of net. I, I just think like having watched him that there, the thing that's key for me is that there's that steadiness, like, especially when they're young goalies, like um, Skinner, Stuart Skinner is probably not an awful, he's not a comparable, but he's not awful as a comparable for this. Like Skinner, when I first started watching him play, he was 15 and he had the same kind of um, gravitas, just calmness in the net. Um, and he's now doing really well down in Bakersfield. You know, I just think Costa has that more. I think like, and he's a really personable, nice kid. Like I've met him, he's other than the fact that we could not have a conversation because I come up to like his elbow, you know, he's, he's a, he's a fantastically nice kid. Um, the Oilers would love him. He's, you know, from Fort McMurray and Alberta boy, you know, hometown team. But uh, isn't that some of the stuff Stoffer keeps telling me? Um, I don't know. I'm blocked by Stoffer now. So. Oh, well, <laughs> lucky you. Um, no, I just, I really think, He's good positionally. He moves well. He knows what to do and he knows when not to do too much. Like he's not no knock against Mark Flurry, Mark Andre Flurry. He is like a goalie legend, but he's not going to be flailing, flailing outside the crease in game three of a, a freaking series because he, <laughs> he knows that's not his, you know, that's not what he's here for. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and everything um, I've I've read about him, like it sounds exactly what you just said. He's a big body and he doesn't his mobility is actually like very impressive for how big he is. Oh, yeah, he's he's incredibly like you're like you shouldn't. No, you were just oh well. I guess now you're here, right? <laughs> so fine, be here. <laughs> you know. But. Yeah, I think he's definitely high on on Edmonton's board when it comes to pick number nineteen. I will be going over a few more prospects in the days leading up to uh, the NHL entry draft. I have uh, Atu Ratti's profile up on the website right now, so for people to go and read. He's another interesting prospect, but yeah, for sure. I think Sebastian Casa is definitely would be yeah, a great a, pick there's, there. There's a, a, a no small amount of debate um, about whether or not he'll even be on the board at that spot. Um, the last set of rankings that McKenzie set out, which were a fairly authoritative integrated rankings, mm -hmm. had him at 14. Casa? Uh, yeah. 
Jeez. I wasn't thinking, so, I thought he was going to be for sure going to be up there, but if he, yeah, yeah no, the last, like this, McKenzie's final rankings came out today, I think. Um, but the, the midterm rankings of the last set before today uh, had him at 14. The NHL, which doesn't integrate, had him as the number one North American goalie on the board, right? So if they get him at 19, it would be a good thing. Um, you know, I had some people in the comments being like, oh, well, we've developed Stuart Skinner and Devin Dubnik. And the argument there is, of course, um, you actually didn't develop Dubnik, Devin Dubnik. You practically ruined Devin Dubnik. <laughs> we didn't get the best years of Devin Dubnik, that's for sure. We saw no, but they, pract- or they didn't get the best years of Devin Dubnik because of the, the development system. Mm-hmm. He left the Oilers development system, finished out that year playing so poorly based on, you know, his time in the Oilers that he ended up in the EHL. You know, and then he came back the next year out of their system, finding something that works for him. And at the end of that year, he was a Vesna quality candidate goalie, yeah. right? Yeah. So when people argue to me, the Oilers didn't do so bad that they drafted Devin Dudnick. One, well, uh, don't, you, yeah, you drafted don't, don't Devin Dudnick me. <laughs> don't Devin Dudnick me. Those are my favorite goalie words ever. But, uh, but no, the Oilers... Devin Dunick was not much of a goalie when he left the Oilers system. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And that was the Oilers goalie system. So no, the Oilers are shit at developing goalies. Yeah. So, so here's hopefully this changes. Something. Yeah. Because uh, Casa has potential um, to be, to be one of the best goaltenders out of the, well, like, the first round of the draft. Uh, the few places I read, cause I was reading to see what other people would say. They say they have, has the potential to be a starting goalie in the NHL, right. To like be a franchise starting goalie. Um, the same kind of stuff I think you saw for Carter Hart out for Philadelphia way a mm. couple of years ago. Right. Yeah. Um, same kind of numbers that he, or Hart and Wolf were both putting up for their teams um, in the WHL are, are similar to what um, cost has been putting up for his. Right. So, you know, those might be also decent, at least statistical comparisons. Yeah, for sure. Well, thank you for that, uh, Shona. A lot better than I could have done on giving a little prospect for a sh- showdown of, uh, of Sebastian Casa. I think that's going to do it for this episode of the Copper and Blue podcast. We are running a bit uh, long here, but uh, don't worry. We're going to be back it's later this week. We're going to go into a deeper dive into the draft. We're going to talk some oiler trade ideas, some UFA options, and much, much more. So be Maybe we'll even episode. make Corey come. And hopefully Corey comes come. along as well. We've missed Corey. <laughs> Use our resident uh, odds guy or uh, analytics. I know, guy. like I feel We're like if we want to talk stats, we should really get Corey back here to help us. Yeah, for sure. I'll drag him into the next one. So thank you guys for listening. Uh, we'll be back later this week, and uh, hopefully Ken Holland doesn't do anything stupid. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Okay, we'll talk to you guys later. Bye.